Well, last week we learned that Jesus wants us to be people who bring people together and help them find God. And if you weren't here, it was just an exciting day of uh, doing church a little bit differently. And what I sensed and what excited me was a desire on behalf of all of us to try to be all in with this new mission that God has given UPC. All in, all that we are and all of us uh, participating together. Today we begin a new sermon series called Imagine the Impact. Imagine the impact if we were all in, if all that you are was all in to the mission of Jesus. Imagine the impact on yourself. How, how would you grow? How would your joy deepen? Imagine the impact in your neighborhood. Uh, how would neighbors be blessed? Who would come to know Jesus Christ? Well, today I want to start our Imagine the Impact series with Moses, because clearly Moses is a person that, that God wants to uh, work on his imagination. God is speaking to Moses from a burning bush. So he's in, being invited to imagine more than any of us would normally uh, consider. Also, God is going to call Moses to great impact. He will be the liberator of God's people a man who lives for justice and reconciliation and frees the Israelites. So a good place for us to begin. I know his story is a little bit familiar, but let's read it anyways. Would you please turn your Bible to Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. And I'd love for everybody to be able to read this. So if you didn't bring a Bible, please turn the black book on the rack in front of you to page 45. And if you're able, let's stand together and read Exodus chapter 4. Verses 1 through 5. Now, when we're done reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, so that uh, if you believe it or are coming to believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully. We're reading God's holy word. Then Moses answered, But suppose they do not believe me or listen to me, but say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw the staff on the ground, and it became a snake. And Moses drew back from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and seize it by the tail. So he reached out his hand and grasped it, and it became a staff in his hand, so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. This is the word of the Lord. Grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. What is that in your hand? And Moses says, not much, really. You know, I'm 80 years old. My life hasn't exactly gone the way I had thought or hoped that it would. He's in the wilderness right now. Oh, his life started with a whole lot of promise. He was educated with a king's education, adopted by the pharaoh and raised in his court. He had great dreams and aspirations. He was off to a good start. He actually did mediate conflicts, rescued slaves. But he thinks to himself at this moment as he's talking to the burning bush, all that has long since gone. For 40 years, I've been wandering in the wilderness with nothing but somebody else's sheep and this piece of wood in my hand. 
D.L. Moody once said, Moses spent 40 years thinking he was somebody, 40 years learning he was nobody, and 40 years discovering what God could do with a nobody. I'm nobody, he says, and I really don't have much of anything in my hand. Um, question, the voice comes from the burning bush, what is that in your hand? Nothing, he shrugs. Doesn't really think about the wood, been holding it so long, been there so long, it's almost become kind of part of him. He doesn't even think about it. It's like everything else, just nothing. Well, what it is is a staff. But let's ask ourselves, what is a staff to Moses? Scholars tell us it would have been three things. It would have been something to shore his steps, guide his flock, and smite his foes. Something to shore his steps, it would be his strength. He's advanced in years now. He's becoming frail. He's an old man. He'll use this staff to stand on, to lean against a strong wind. As he walks, it's become his most reliable leg. On the journey, he'll pause sometimes and fold his craggly knuckles together and rest on the top of the staff and then put his chin there and just catch his breath and age a little bit more. It's his strength. It's also something to guide his flock. If so, it's his occupation. This is what he does. He's a shepherd. This is how he fills his time with this staff. He'll use it to nudge the sheep up the path. He uses it to find his own way through the brush. He'll tap out his daily existence one tap at a time on the rocky path he travels. It's his occupation. It's also something to smite his foes. It's his security. It's what you would want if you were to get in trouble. And he's in a dangerous place. He's in the wild wilderness. And who knows? Anything can happen here. It's better to be prepared. Oh, you'd never want to have to swing this heavy staff in earnest. It could really do some damage. But if you look carefully along the side of it, you can see that the wood bears the marks of teeth, the teeth of hyena. This staff is not nothing to Moses. It's something to shore his steps, something to guide his flock, something to smite his foes. It's his strength, his occupation, and his security. What do you have in your hand today? It's an important question to answer for anybody who wants to live a life that's intentional. What's in your hand? I'd invite you to put a finger here in Exodus 4 and turn to the New Testament, flip over to 1 Peter. In our text, uh, that's on page 985. First uh, Peter says, verse 10, says something quite interesting. Peter writes, like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. Peter, in his own way, is asking the question of his readers, what gift have you received? You see, he's saying there's something in your hand. He says it's a reflection of the manifold grace of God. That could be translated one of the many forms of God's grace 
It's now in your hand. It's a gift, and it was given by God. Now, for what purpose? Peter helps us here as well. He says, serve one another. That's the first purpose. And then if you read down to verse 11, you'll see another purpose, and that is to bring glory to Jesus Christ, to help the world see how great Jesus Christ is. And all of this is what the Bible calls stewardship. That's what Peter says, like good stewards of this gift, serve one another and bring glory to God in Jesus Christ. Biblical stewardship is a theme that runs throughout the pages of Scripture. What does it mean? Here's my definition of stewardship. It's the care and investment of something that belongs to someone else. The care and investment of something that's in your hands, but that belongs to somebody else. I enjoy seeing this ad in the newspaper from time to time for a switch Swiss watch, and it says this, you never actually own a Patek Philippe. You merely look after it for the next generation. They've been very creative to try to sell us a $25,000 watch when one that costs $10 does just the same thing. But the point is, you know, you don't actually own this, right? You're just, you're just a steward. You're just caring for it and investing it for your heirs. And this is really what stewardship is. This gift that you have in your hands, that's your staff. Moses doesn't see it yet. But that's what the Lord is getting at with him. The thing in your hand is something that doesn't really belong to you. It belongs to me. Let's flip back to Exodus 4 because there's something really surprising here. If you look at, at, at the 20th verse of that chapter, in verse 4, it's Moses' staff, but not when we get to verse 20. Notice the, the flip of ownership. Moses carried the staff of God in his hands. Well, wait a minute. The Lord is essentially saying to Moses, whose staff is this? And Moses says, it's my staff. I've had it forever. Whose staff is it? It's my staff, the Lord says. It's just in your hands. And it'll take a little while for Moses to understand the importance of this. But when he walks away from that burning bush, the text says he carries the staff now of God in his hand. Yeah, well, he, he's not seeing this yet either. To him, it's just a piece of wood. And so the Lord gives him another test. He tells him to do something with what's in his hand. Look at verse 3. He says, throw it on the ground. Release it, Moses. Let it go. Cast it down. And we can imagine Moses going, what? What? I mean, yes, it's not much, but it is all that I have right now. Remember, this to Moses is something to shore his steps, guide his flock, and smite his foes. This is his strength, his occupation, his security. How could anybody ask an 80-year-old man to let go of his strength? How could anyone ask somebody who's been doing the same thing for 40 years and it's all they really know how to do at this point in their life to let go of their occupation? How could anybody ask somebody, particularly in a wild and dangerous place like the wilderness, to let go of their security? But here the Lord says to Moses, throw it 
on the ground. This is what we have to do to become stewards. We have to open our hands and release what belongs to God for his purposes. We have to put them in the Lord's hands. Recently, our elders have been talking about the joy and freedom of seeing your life as a steward, how it tends to give our lives meaning and purpose and even freedom to live this way. There's a kind of a mindset that a steward has. And I'd like to talk a little bit about the steward's mindset with you today. In fact, there are, there are three convictions that make up a steward's mindset, and there are these. The first is that it all belongs to God. That is, everything belongs to God. This is what the Scripture teaches us. For example, in Psalm 24, verse 1, we read, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. The earth is the Lord's. That's the doctrine of creation. And then the doctrine of redemption tells us the very same thing. Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, 20 says, For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. God owns the world. God owns you. Your life belongs not to you, but to him. It all belongs to God. So a steward's mindset will always ask the question, what has God put in my hands? That's so different from the question I find myself asking myself so often, which is, why don't I have enough? <laughs> you know, because I, th I think that I'm alone, that there is no God, or that, I'm, uh, that my things are my things. When we think about stewardship as modern people, we oftentimes think about uh, environmental stewardship or financial stewardship, but the biblical concept is more robust. It's really a holistic concept. It's about everything that you are, your whole life, and it's about every single decision uh, that you make. All you have is God's, whether that's a staff, a piece of wood, or a car that you drive, a bicycle you ride, uh, uh, maybe the Great Barrier Reef, anything. It's all part of God's beloved creation. It's sacred because God loves it. It belongs to him. The first conviction is that it all belongs to God. The second conviction of a steward's mindset is that the honor of deciding is yours. You get to decide. God has put us in that place, and it's a place of great dignity. The Bible affirms our responsibility. For example, we read in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy, that they make good decisions with what's in their hands because it belongs to another. So what a trust is. Uh, in Matthew 25, verse 21, Jesus telling a parable, one of his many on stewardship, says this, his master said to him, well done, good and trustworthy slave, you have been trustworthy, made good decisions in a few things, and therefore I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. See, the steward's mindset will ask the question, how can I be faithful with what God has put in my hands? The question I so often ask, we could call it the solo mindset, is how can I get more in my hands? I, I mean, if it all belongs to me and there really isn't a God involved in my life, then what else would be the purpose of life except to just grab more stuff for me? The irony is those of us who are of a certain age, and I am myself, have come to see that the more we try to grasp at things to possess them ourselves, the emptier we feel on the inside. This is not the way God has invited us to live. 
Rather, he wants us to see that everything belongs to God. He's put it in our hands and given us the honor of deciding how to care for and invest it in just the way God would do if he were holding it himself. He trusts you to make decisions about these things. And there's great honor and dignity. This is a royal trust. But also, what comes with that is responsibility. We must learn the priorities of the owner. We must wrestle deeply with the questions of what is God doing in the world? What is God's mission in the world? And how can I invest what God has put in my hands to further that mission? This becomes the most important question. It all belongs to God. The honor of deciding is yours. The third conviction of a steward's mindset is that open hands make a life full. I know this is counterintuitive, but this again is the teaching of scriptures in Psalm chapter 50, verse 9 and 10. We read this, the Lord is saying, I have no need of a bull from your stalls or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. This is a very important passage. He's saying, you know, I don't need your money. Don't come to church and give anything in the offering plate if you're thinking I'm doing it, you're doing it for me. No, the reason to do it is for you. I don't need, I'm rich already. I've got everything that I need for my mission, my purposes in the world. I'm not inviting you to be generous for my sake. I'm for your sake because as Jesus tells us in Acts 20, it is more blessed to give than to receive. God wants us to live full lives. He's asking us to open our hands because that's how life gets full through generosity. A steward's mindset asks, how can God's priorities become my priorities? And as she asks that question and begins to act on those priorities, her life becomes a reflection of God's life. And this is, this is transformational. The solo mindset tends to ask, well, how, can, how much can I afford to lose? How generous can I afford to be at this moment? As though there were tension between giving and getting. No, in fact, it's more like your life is a path, pass through trust. As Bruce Larson said, you ought to get off the hose. Because when you stand on the hose and don't allow anything to go out, nothing's coming in either, right? God's trying to fill your life. In order for us to understand God's priorities and embody them in our lives and make good decisions just as God would do, we need this book. We need to read it. We need to immerse ourselves in the biblical narrative. We call it the gospel. It needs to shape our lives. As we hear what God's priorities are and act on those priorities, then they soon become our priorities. And we're not just doing generous things anymore with our lives. We're becoming generous people with our lives. And the grace of God, the many-formed grace of God that Peter's talking about begins to flow through us. And this is what makes our lives full. That's impact. That's what we're invited to imagine. It all belongs to God. The honor of deciding is yours. And open hands make a life full. A steward is someone who cares for and invests all that they have, knowing it belongs to God. And so Moses, he opens his hands and he releases his staff. It falls to the ground. He lets it go. And what happens? It becomes a snake. Oh, no. Verse 3 tells us, so he threw the staff on the ground and it became a snake and Moses drew back from it. I, I should think so. He actually flees from it. See, when you open your hands, here's the lesson. When you open your hands, 
God is going to transform what you're holding. It becomes something else. He changes it. This is what God does. What was a benign piece of wood in his hand is now, in God's hand, full of power. And the Lord is saying to Moses, Moses, once you put this in my hands, my strength will show up in your weakness. My work will show up in your occupation. My security will show up in your vulnerability. Scholars of the ancient Near East tell us that snakes and serpents were symbols of royal authority. If you've seen pictures of King Tutankhamun's death mask, you see this. It's a little bit hard to see in this photo, but the the figure just above the eyebrow uh, to our right is the figure of a cobra with its snake coiling behind its head. This says this is the king who rules with royal authority, with power. So so you see what the Lord is saying to Moses when his staff becomes a serpent, just as he sends him towards Egypt. Oh my gosh, a nobody has just become a genuine somebody. Now you've got royal authority, Moses. This is what happens when we put what we have in the hands of God. We release them. He transforms it. Remember the uh, feeding of the 5,000 in the Gospels. I love that story. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, so people are hungry, what have you got? And Andrew and Philip, they look at each other and shrug their shoulders and go, nothing. Our hands are empty. I mean, Jesus, if you looked at this crowd, there's six months' wages wouldn't buy enough to give each person an hors d'oeuvre, let alone food. But remember the story. There's a boy. Apparently, there's a boy in the crowd who goes, well, I'm looking at my hands, and I've got five loaves and two fish, and I don't know if this could help, but he takes them, and he puts them in the hands of Jesus. And that's when the transformation occurs, when he puts what he's holding into the hands of Jesus. Everything becomes different. Jesus takes the five loaves and two fish. He holds them up to the Lord, to his Father in heaven, to bless them, to give thanks for them. And here's what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, oh, Lord, we wish we had more. Oh, Heavenly Father, we're so sad that we have so few to feed so many. No. He says, thank you for the abundance you've given us. You're a generous God. Thank you for all of this, these five loaves and two fish. We thank you for that. And then you know the story. They pass out the food and there are 12 baskets full of leftover. This is abundance there. Sisters, brothers, what is that in your hand? Let's all think about that this morning. What do you have? I worked in Los Angeles for several years, and we used to say in L.A., you know, if you have good looks, it's because God has given you good looks. They're his, and you better use them for his glory. I don't have that issue, uh, but some of you do. What has God put in, in your hands? Faith? Maybe faith. You're here this morning. It doesn't take a lot of faith. Jesus tells us the smallest amount is a gift. Or think about your strength, your occupation, and your security. Strength, like as maybe God's given you health or athletic ability or a spiritual gift. Peter says we all, we all get one. 
or occupation. Think about your time, how you use your time, or the fact that you have time, or education, or your work experience, various jobs you've had, the influence that you have because of your social network, your relationships, your occupation. Think about your security, the, the apartment that you live in, the, the, the home, maybe the, the money, the finances you have, the car that you drive. Even think about your hurts and failures. I wonder how uh, your troubles can become a testimony in Jesus' hand. How even our miseries can become sometimes our ministries. You know, as we go next door, we're going to have to be all in. It's going to take all of us with all that we are to join Jesus. So let's think, what has God put in your hands? And what would it take for you to open your hands and put that in God's hands, to allow God to transform it for a royal purpose? Before Moses is ready to do this, the Lord has one last instruction for Moses, and it's maybe the hardest, and it's here in verse 4. The Lord says to him, reach out your hand and seize the snake by its tail. What? That's scary. The text tells us when Moses saw that staff hit the ground and turn into a snake, he ran. He fled before it. It chased him. And the teaching here is that it's scary to see what you're holding on to transform. It's scary to put your savings in God's hands or your career or your sex life, your ambitions. It's terrifying to see him transform. We want to hold on to these things and control them. But we can't. We've got to learn to trust God with all of this. And the first step towards stewardship is always trust, trust, trust. This is what God has been after all along with Moses. It's actually the question that Moses raises in verse 1. He says, well, what if I do go back to Egypt and I say, I've seen God, and they don't trust me or they don't believe in me. It's the same Hebrew word. And Moses said, look, with this little exercise, he says, I, I want you to know Moses, the question isn't, will they believe you? The question is, do you believe me? Do you trust me with all that you have, with all that you are? And Moses says, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I can. And so the Lord graciously helps him. In verse 5, he reminds Moses of who Moses is. He's already said this once from the burning bush, but here it comes again. I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I, I want you to know who I am so that you can know who you are. We have a history together, Moses. Look to the past, to these covenant partners, and I have been faithful to this covenant that I made with Abraham, and I will be faithful to you. This is who he is, Moses. See, he's an Egyptian by adoption. He's Midian by choice, but he is Hebrew by birth. Now the Lord says, I want to tell you who you are. You are a Hebrew. I've made covenant promises to you. By the way, we talked two weeks ago about this, that the only way we can know who we are is to listen to God. He's the one who tells us. We don't find out who we are by looking at our circumstances or by looking inward. We find out who we truly are by hearing the word of God spoken to us. And so God is speaking this word to Moses to let him know who he is. Moses, yes, you're broken, but you're redeemed. Moses, yes, you're sinful, but you're loved. 
Moses, yes, in some way you are a nobody, but you are somebody through whom I pledge myself to bless the world. Several commentators try to point out that the author must not seem to know much about snakes because they say if he did, he wouldn't have included this thing about picking up the snake from your tail because nobody would pick up a potentially poisonous snake by its tail, right? You, you pick it up by its head or it's going to bite you unless, unless you trust the one who has told you to pick it up. You see what the Lord is saying to Moses? You pick up that snail, the snake, sorry, snails are fine. I wouldn't eat one, but it's a snake by the tail because you trust me to be your safety. That's the invitation to trust. And the place to begin if you want to be a steward today is to look to Jesus. The place to begin if you want to be able to trust God is to look to his cross to look and believe and to say yes to Jesus. A steward must be a believer, a follower of Jesus, a covenant partner who understands that God has been faithful to his promise. On the cross, it's where we see God taking the poison of our sin, its toxin, into its, his very being and diffusing its power, rendering it innocuous. On the cross, we see Moses' covenant partner faithful to the very last, inviting us to understand that we are covenant partners with this God as well. And so he says to you and me this morning, look at my hands. It's into my hands that I invite you to entrust yourself. And when we look at God's hands, what do we see? We see the scars of nail prints. And we're reminded of the promise of Isaiah 49, verses 15 and 16 through which the Lord says to, to you and me, can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion for the child of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Imagine that. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are inviting us to understand ourselves as your beloved children, trying to convince us that there's nothing that could separate us from that love in Jesus Christ. We confess today that our imaginations have become anemic, and we invite you through your word and spirit to refurbish our imaginations that we might see ourselves as belonging to you, and that we might entrust all that we are to you. We pray it so that Jesus Christ might be glorified. We pray that as our neighbors look at us, that they won't see how great we are, but they will see how great you are. In Christ's name, amen.